0: back to another Victor light radio show. Um, hopefully you've been tuning in recently. And if you're just tuning in, I'm going to recommend you go back to the beginning of my interviews with Raymond Keller. Uh, these are going to be in transcript form. At some point we're going to go live on the camera. Um, we're, uh, in the near future. Uh, I wanted to mention a couple things here, uh, before we get started. One, um, is that uh, I do support a children's orphanage in Tanzania, Africa, and my friend uh, Chris, Kala is very dedicated and takes care of uh, thirty children, and he works very hard. And uh, they need the children need some financial support. So, for those of you who are interested, you know, please reach out to contact me. I can get you in contact with Chris. Uh, feel free to. Ask him for a Skype call. You can meet the children and see the orphanage. This is a real uh, situation, and the children are in need. For those of you or those of us who have extra money, it's, it's always a good cause to help other people. Uh, I also would like to say I am appearing in October. Uh, The first week of October, I'll be in Irvine at the Portal to Ascension Conference with Neil Gower. Please check that out. And now, without further ado, we're going to go back into an interview with um, one of my uh, favorite people on the Earth, my teacher, my mentor. And uh, I'll have to call him my guide. Uh, He has been uh, very kindly, so generous with his time with me and taking me through... um, all the questions I could possibly have about the pleroma, about our space family, and, and clarifying many misconceptions that I had. And for those of you who know me, I am can be tough. I can be tough on psychics, and I can be tough on people who make statements. Uh, and I myself had experiences that I could not translate uh, because many of them are out of body, And some of my physical experiences that I'd had uh, took years to kind of understand and get a relationship to what is going on and the levels of security and and why certain contactees are actually chosen for close-up contact. And um, Raymond's helped me a lot with that. So uh, you can trust that I put him through my vetting process uh, of metaphysical uh, questions, as well as the fact that simply... He has had physical firsthand experience, literally living on Venus for three and a half months. Um, and we'll be getting into this aspect of his contact in the future, but for now, we're just going to kind of uh, continue where we left off. Uh, so welcome back. Raymond, thank you for coming on the show again.
1: Thank you, Rob. It's always a pleasure to uh, spend time with you and your wonderful audience.
0: Well, thank you for coming on here. Um, we had left off with some information there about the Pleiadians and the uh, confederation, and I would like to uh give you time here. You mentioned you had something important that you felt you've uncovered uh I think you called it the vast Venus conspiracy. uh why don't you share uh what you have to tell us?
1: okay, uh well. Uh, Back in the mid-1960s, there was a group headed up by Robert Gribble in Seattle, Washington called the Aerial Phenomena Research Group. And uh, I was a member and exchanged the publications with him, the Flying Saucer Report um, at the time. And uh, he had to change the name of his group. It used to be uh, National Investigations Commission on Aerial Phenomena. NICAP, but it's because it had that same acronym as the more conservative uh, UFO group. Um, He wanted to, uh, you know, avoid some kind of a a lawsuit. But anyway, the difference between the two NICAPs, uh, uh, Robert Gribble's group and uh, Major Donald E. Kehoe's group, was that uh, 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 Mr. Gribble believed that... uh, if uh, the flying saucers were coming all this way uh, across the vastness of the cosmos to visit the earth, they were certainly going to stop off and talk to people. And uh, and he particularly uh, gave credence to the contactees, uh, particularly uh, Howard Menger and George Adamski, uh, whereas uh, Donald E. Kehoe did, did not. He believed that it was uh, a military surveillance of the earth and that they they were the saucers were never going to um to land here until they were outright in, in, invading us but um uh, uh, Mr. Gribble collected a lot of information about uh, uh about Venus because he didn't believe what uh, NASA was putting out uh, after the Mariner 2 probe and um uh, uh, as far as the Mariner 2 probe, I collected a lot of uh, first-hand information from scientists working on the project, and uh, they had some doubts about the findings on the temperature of Venus, um, because uh, they believed that it was the um, uh, a lightning and el- electrified atmosphere, the ionization. Um, Layer on Venus, and not the uh, uh, and not the surface, the surface temperature. So I tried to f- find other scientists and information that supported that that Venus could support life, and had a and had a suitable atmosphere and uh, and a reasonable temperature. And uh, I found quite um, quite a bit of it. Uh, they all agreed. Uh, contending scientists from John Hopkins University and other other universities, uh, astronomy departments at the time, uh, in the mid-1960s to the late, uh, early 1970s, that, uh, that a space probe passing 21,500 miles out and only taking three brief um, uh, radiometer measurements of the the atmosphere isn't going to tell them much, uh, much of anything. And uh, so here's an important uh, uh, article that was um, uh, found by uh, Robert Gribble and uh, published in his um, uh, in his report, uh, UFO reporter newsletter. And it's uh, it's from uh, taken from the uh, Orlando Star newspaper in Florida on this. De- December the 7th, 1964, and it's a, it's a water found in Venus atmosphere may mean life there. And it says, uh, the, cloud t- the clouds surrounding the planet Venus are composed of water in the form of ice particles, a team of Johns Hopkins University astrophysicists uh, uh, said today, uh, they had a press conference. The scientists said the finding of water vapor on Venus raises the possibility of oxygen in its atmosphere. They based their reasoning on calculations that all of Earth's oxygen could be accounted for by the releasing of oxygen from water vapor in the upper atmosphere. The oxygen is freed by the action of sunlight. The latest findings on Venus, Earth's twin sister in size, density, and general composition, were obtained from an unmanned balloon flight last October 27th. The possibility of a source of oxygen in a previous discovery that its atmosphere contains carbon dioxide raises the possibility that life in some form might exist on the planet. The John Hopkins team, headed by Dr. John Strong, included the latest data confirmed earlier measurements by Dr. Strong, showing the surface temperature to be somewhat above um, above zero degrees Fahrenheit, with only a few degrees difference between the light and dark sides. Radio telescopes on Earth and on the Mariner 2 space probe, which passes within 21,000 miles of Venus in December 1962, indicated the surface temperature was 800 degrees Fahrenheit. And then uh, Dr. Strong said, quote, interpretation of radio telescope waves um, as an indication of temperature has neither been proven or universally accepted. Uh, And uh, Dr. Strong is the director of John Hopkins Astrophysics Laboratory. The John Hopkins scientists Scientists suggest the previous findings only indicate a large amount of lightning-like electrical activity in the turbulent upper atmosphere of Venus.
0: Wow, okay, so, well, it's pretty clear here um, that um, we see some evidence here of uh, two uh, types of thinking. One is fueling a fear-based militaristic, uh, you know, fait comply or actually trying to put the mental uh, sickness of the earth <laughs> into extraterrestrials and uh, the fear-based uh, things. And this is simply, this is normal. I mean, even when people of different cultures come to live in a new country, uh, people fear them because their culture is different. They just different. They think different. They have certain things. And uh, this is uh, part of the human condition that we need to learn to move beyond is to accept other people, not on the external features, but how they really react. So I can understand that. Obviously, the uh, other view that um, is more open minded and actually questions uh, government's narrative is based on real science and uh, is obviously the correct and true one from our perspective for sure. So I guess I could ask you a follow-up question before we go uh, back into some of the other questions that I had here. Uh, my follow-up question would be, <clears throat> tell us a little uh, synopsis, I guess, um, you know it's it's very clearly stated, folks. Again, in the second book of the trilogy, "Rockets to Venus," and I'm going to recommend again. Also, go to Amazon, Google Dr. Raymond Andrew Keller II. Also, look at his uh, uh, first book, "Venus Rising," and there's a lot of information there that kind of uh, clears up the the cover up and the uh, literally the political correctness of the state-controlled media that is keeping the truth from the people. Uh, Share with us, uh, you know, why the different readings and uh, maybe give us a topography of Venus. I mean, you mentioned the clouds and things like that, that uh, there's a giant mountain there. Um, uh, I forget the name of it. I want to say. It's
1: uh, Maxwell Montt's
0: macro mons yeah mons venus yeah so um why don't you share with us a little bit about your knowledge of the atmosphere where it's livable what it's like at the various densities i mean i imagine they would have uh, uh, a troposphere ionosphere a magnetosphere similar to the earth correct
1: oh yes yes um uh, and um uh, there is a uh, evidence from the Soviet Venera probes that Venus does indeed have a uh, a magnetic field um, that uh, there's variations in topography uh altitude uh, 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 air pressure and so forth uh, just like on on the earth not everything is uh, is uniform. I do like that one picture it's copyrighted by NASA however uh, uh, they did, um, a, um, uh, like a plate of the Soviet Venera photos. They did a composition photo on a plate because it was, uh, taken at, uh, th- 360 degrees. The, the camera rotated and you could see, um, you could see that it looks like it had just rained there. It was on top of, uh, uh volcanic plateau but you could see off in the distance uh you could see uh what looks like vegetation and uh puddles of water and uh it's pretty amazing but uh that photo um there's a lot of um suppression on it they don't uh it's you're not uh, you're not allowed to reproduce it i couldn't get permission to reproduce it
0: well it's out there in the public i think uh maybe in our next show when we go live on camera uh, i'd like you to just share that picture and we'll reproduce it for the world to see um so obviously there's different things uh i mean let's talk about the gravity is it heavier is it lighter is it pretty much the same i think you you said it's a uh, a little less heavy than the earth, uh, and, and talk about the atmosphere, um, what would it be equivalent to, like, for us here on earth?
1: Okay, uh, uh, well, first off, the gravity is 81 percent that of the earth, so it's, uh, it's not quite as, uh, uh, as heavy, and that's accounted for by, even though Venus is the same size of the earth, much of it is, is, uh, it's hollowed out it's not as dense
0: okay um and so what's it like walking there did were you able to take uh, 60 foot leaps no probably not you did you feel a little light spring in your step or uh, did you notice it was it pretty much similar it's
1: it's it, it's pretty much the same it's okay. pretty much pretty much the same um and the uh the atmosphere is um is uh as this article as the uh, dr strong rightly said the scientists that uh the atmosphere is uh um pretty much like the the earth's in composition a little more uh, inert gases though like uh uh argon and uh krypton neon and so forth
0: okay um let's see um and can you tell us uh is it do they have uh is it do they have seasons like we do or is it at the north is it colder and the south is it colder or is the rest of the uh temperature uh moderate what is the 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 weather changes and the shifting there like on venus
1: uh well well, over time, uh, weather has has changed. Uh, of course, uh, as it does on the Earth, climate change is inevitable. And uh, uh, parts of uh, Venus, as parts of the Earth, are are uh, uh, not suitable for um, surface habitation, but other parts are, certainly are. So you have, yeah, you have a a, a band of. Um, uh, of higher temperatures around the equatorial region, and then, uh, and then uh, even snow, and um, and ice conditions in uh, in in the polar regions. And the, uh, what it what there is on Venus to regulate the weather, there's like a dual vortex system. There's uh, these two perpetual um, uh, tornadoes at the North Pole that. Uh, that, uh, take in, um, that take in that take in the warm air and then uh, and then re- and then uh, cool it like a coolant system for the whole planet.
0: So these are permanent. Uh, this okay? When you say vortexes, uh, and you just said air, so I'm presuming these are literally tornadoes that are really? giant tornadoes that are constantly in effect at the north and the south pole
1: yes above above the uh uh above the the pole uh, above the uh, the north pole
0: not the south pole no okay uh, Hmm. this i wish i was a meteorologist i could query <laughs> you further um i guess i'm going to say uh is this natural or is this a, a venusian uh you know, weather control in order to keep the temperature uh, normal?
1: Uh, No, it's it's a natural phenomena pertaining to the planet itself.
0: Wow. Is uh, this type of thing on other planets or is
1: this kind of... uh... No, it's uh, unique to Venus.
0: Wow. Okay. And um, so... uh, Although there...
1: Although I have to say that there are strange anomalies over the north poles of uh, all the planets in our solar system.
0: Yes, we can get into that when we get into the inner earth and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But let's talk about uh, that tornado a little bit longer here. I'm kind of curious uh, uh, how big is it? Is it, you know, would we call it, would we call it more like a, you know, a typhoon that stays in one place—is it really big? Is it small? Is it causing storms, or is it literally just a wind tornado that is, uh, you know, swirling uh, just uh, areas of the ice? I mean, uh, this is pretty cool new stuff.
1: Oh yes, they're uh, they're at, um, they're in the uh, the intermediate zone of the atmosphere to the outer um, atmosphere, so they um uh they they are visible um with s- space probes they've been photographed and uh and uh, they've been uh, uh mapped on radar and everything so uh, w- we definitely know that they're there and okay uh, in the uh, in the article that I published uh, or that you published that I wrote there about the Venus conspiracy I've got uh, pictures, uh, a radar uh, from that area showing uh, showing a, a frozen lake and snow.
0: Yeah, I think I have seen certain photos like that in the past. But of course, you always there's always a, a question of doubt that you know it could be actually be planted to be fake, and then they could say, "Well, that's fake," and we you know anyway, it's it's a big conundrum up there. So when you say it's in the upper atmosphere, so we don't have a a tornado that's touched down here. It's kind of like what, like a thousand feet up and then, and then higher. So
1: it's a, it's not touching the surface. So that's, that's good.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's really cool. Interesting stuff. And I'm happy that you uh, shared that. So yesterday uh, when we kind of, uh, For you folks, it was three weeks ago when we kind of ended this uh, interview. um, You said some interesting uh, thing that's kind of contrary to what a lot of people think. Um, The Pleiadians um, with Billy Meyer in the 70s allowed uh, photographs of their spaceships to be taken and kind of making Billy Meyer one of the premier Uh, contactees uh, at least in the recent modern day era by the number of photographs that were allowed Um, and of course it stirred up controversy and there's all this stuff going on there but his contacts um, with Semyasi of course were questioned by everyone but um, it seems like uh, now we're getting a little broader uh, perspective of the interaction, or at least I am, folks, getting a little broader perspective of the extraterrestrial politics and what's going on here. Um, I think let's let's talk about um, what we call the quarantine. We talked about the satellites in our last interview of the hollowed out asteroids and the various space stations, um, including the Black Knight. Which is uh, a closer space station, it's only a hundred miles in uh our atmosphere it's matte black and it's um you can see uh a, a airbrush poster I have of it uh, given by Dr. Frank Stranges, who actually did visit that at one point and it's in time. In a,
1: it's it's in a polar orbit
0: yeah so which it's is, uh,
1: and when it first appeared, we didn't have any satellites. We didn't have the technology to put satellites in a polar orbit. So it was first sighted in 1954 and uh, and all the way through the mid-1960s. It was in, in that orbit around our planet.
0: Yeah, this is just amazing stuff. Uh, so let's talk about the quarantine Um is that the entire solar system? I mean, feel free to range into the Earth's history, um, the subtle Earth alien intervention and various things that uh, might be affecting this quarantine. Um, you can even toss in uh, Christ and, you know, the Luciferian rebellion and, and that kind of stuff in this if if it's relevant. Uh, why don't you talk about the quarantine of the Earth and kind of why we're not like other planets, that we have open contact. Uh, we've already talked a little bit about our irresponsibility with technology and stuff, but um, it must be a little more than
1: that. Oh, yes. Well, we, we've we had um, alien intervention on our planet for quite some time in, in different civilizations, even going back before Atlantis and and Lemuria and uh, uh, and the inner earth so extraterrestrials have been coming and going for for quite some some time here and uh, uh, in some ways we are um, as uh, as uh, was once said uh, a prison planet um, and so we have a mixed extraterrestrial heritage and, uh, I, well I discuss that the proliferation of DNA of of human DNA throughout uh, throughout the galaxy anyway and um, in the Venus rising book and uh, also discuss um, uh, the how individuals can find out what their Eq is their extraterrestrial quotient and, well, I, uh, that's how 252
0: through 254. Oh, is that the uh, Starseed signs?
1: Yes, uh, the Starseed connection. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, yeah, from uh, uh, Brad Steiger. Um, Okay, Um, let's talk about, you did say alien intervention and DNA, but what is the uh, uh, quarantine? Who is it by? Does everyone respect it? Is it for our own benefit? Is it for their protection? Please go more into um, the situation with the Earth at this time.
1: Well, it's for for our mutual benefit between the extraterrestrials and and the inhabitants uh, of the Earth. Um, as far as the uh, uh, the extraterrestrials are concerned. Um, uh, they need to uh, respect our sovereignty and our right to develop, uh, develop on our own. Uh, the the Venusians have sent, uh, you know. Speaking of uh, religious leaders and figures in the past, uh, they have sent uh, teachers among us, avatars, if you will, uh, for for countless millennia, and. Uh, it's interesting that all of the religious leaders of the world going back in history have some connection with uh, with Venus, some some intimate connection with it with the planet and the inhabitants. And so I explore those connections in uh uh in the Venus Rising book, in the first book.
0: Okay, so uh uh I guess we're gonna have to look into that. Now Let's go back, I mean, because where we left off in the last interview, uh, you had mentioned that I had asked a question uh, previously to you in our private conversations, and you said that uh, the Venusians had uh, a wary eye out towards the Pleiadian contacts. And, folks, again, I must say that when we say Pleiadian, uh, the Pleiadian system has 250 stars with multiple planets, uh, with various life forms. It's not just the seven sisters, and it's not just the uh, planet era where Samyasi comes from. So this is not a blanket statement here, but um, it seems that in the past, in our last interview, if you remember, you can go back and listen, Raymond mentioned that they had some interactions with some beings in solar systems that didn't always have the healthiest or what we would consider the the best intentions towards the earth or their culture was not developed enough at the time and had some negative influences on the earth. Just as I'm sure if we were out there now, we would have negative influences. So let's talk a little bit about um, some of the, Stories in the Bible uh, We can go back uh, Where it says The the I forget what they call them The They saw the Women as fair and took daughters Of them I want to know I'm going to give you a little narrative Here that goes back uh, And see if this is Correct or rings true to you But there was uh, um, An Extraterrestrial Uh, mission to the earth that was they were kind of being punished for some erroneous activity is what I understand and they were told to come to the earth to babysit a little bit and to help out and I guess uh, they were um, here for a while and something got a hold of them and they kind of influenced us in a negative way My understanding is that they land at Mount Hernan um, and some things like this and that actually they interbred with humans and created this hybrid, which was kind of not really uh, according to the universal law or the, I guess, the genetic code of ethics, I guess, of the extraterrestrials. Can you talk about that in general? Is this group that was... Not Semyasi, but Semyasis was the name. And uh, I think it's quoted as saying that uh, the commander had said, you guys can't be doing this. It's it's not right. Um, and I surely will be blamed. Um, could you talk about this as was this pre-Atlantean? Uh, can you, do you know the story? And can you tell us a little bit about it?
1: Uh- I, I know vaguely uh, of it. It's um uh, it, it's true that there were many um anti civilizations before uh Atl- Atlantis and and Lemuria and uh, we know for example perhaps um uh Dr. Frank may have talked about it uh, in Genesis uh in the first chapter uh the the actual hebrew word is that uh, is that uh, the earth the material that made the earth was reorganized the matter was reorganized that the whole planet was was reorganized and uh it was like a a restart button for for the planet so uh, a lot of activity did take place uh before uh, recorded history and before At- Atlantis, Le- Lemuria or uh Egypt or any of the Mesopotamian civilizations. And uh yes, uh that's true and and uh, there is um a sanction uh, by the Confederation against uh manipulating the DNA of uh of any species uh, and, uh, you know, changing their essentials category. Oh, Robin, nothing's coming through. I don't hear anything.
0: Oh, okay, sorry. Um, oh,
1: there we go, there we there we go.
0: I know, I, I had it on mute, I sneezed there for a second, so I wanted to cut that out. Anyway, so the question is um, when did this DNA rule, kind of like you're not supposed to be interfering with the DNA, and to what level um, is that enforced, is it frowned upon, is it uh, cause for expulsion, if you know, I mean, what's the politics on that? And obviously, um, you know, there is some interbreeding going on. I mean, that's a pretty complicated, uh, political subject with extraterrestrial races that we probably don't know too much about. But share your wisdom with us on that.
1: Well, with uh, uh with humanoids, it would be, um, uh, uh, it would be okay consenting and by permission but not uh but not by by force and not uh, not fundamentally changing the nature of a species
0: so uh well the Pleiadians were like probably
1: like an enforced transhumanism.
0: Right. So we're talking about uh they were giants uh in those days and men of renown or something like that. So these are the offsprings of the humans. Were these aliens extremely large? How large were they? I mean, uh, is there any clarity on that? I guess that would have to be.
1: Oh, oh, yes. Uh, that was um, Genesis chapter three. Uh, what I think is, verse, verse 15, I believe.
0: And what what does it uh, say?
1: It just said that there were giants in the earth in those days of uh, uh, the Nephilim and uh, right. that they, uh, that they interbred with, uh, with, with humans. Now and it created a race of giants.
0: Okay. So, it, so, so were, the, Neph- the Nephilim are fallen ones. So um, they were, were these the uh, Pleiadians that are talked about that had, uh, uh, kind of gone rogue against the system because they were here and kind of rebelling against their enforced uh, service on the Earth.
1: Uh, no, I believe these were uh, these were the Anunnaki that uh, that that are referenced in in the Book of Genesis.
0: Oh, uh, and uh, okay, Anunnaki. So, so these are uh, not the uh,
1: the the other ones. Um, the uh, the other the other humanoids that have been um looked at warily by the uh Venusians come from uh, Aldebaran and uh and related systems.
0: Oh, okay, which other group?
1: Um then you have uh, in that star sector there in uh, the the Taurus sector which covers an immense uh Span of uh, of light years. Um, well, the Pleiades is about 500 light years away, and then uh, Aldebaran is uh, about 65 light years away. It's a red giant, a, a red giant star. Right.
0: Um, okay, so those aren't Pleiadians.
1: And well, the uh, the Pleiadians are descended from them.
0: Ah, so the Pleiadians may have transmigrated from there originally.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, it's a, it's a, Aldebaran is a vast star empire.
0: Okay, and uh, uh, are they uh, benevolent now? Have they evolved? What is the current uh, political situation? If you know anything of the Aldebaran uh, relationship uh, well, to the Pleiades?
1: Yes, uh, their their star was expanding. Was uh, growing outward, and it, it consumed a few of the planets in the in, inner orbits, and they had to expand outward into space millions of of, of years ago. So they they had lots of uh, planets under their thumb as part of their empire, and they they uh, they colonized these worlds and uh, dispatched uh, personnel there.
0: Okay, so under their thumb sounds more like a colonialist type of uh, uh, thing, or is this generally exploring, finding a planet, uh, living on the earth, living on a planet, maybe not interacting with the indigenous life? I guess it could run the gamut, huh? Um,
1: Yes, well they started off as an an imperialist type of venture and um, uh, eventually just um, in, intermingled into other galactic societies.
0: So they kind of uh, homogenize themselves with the natives, so to speak, and I guess they lighten their their viewpoints from a colonialist to, are they more positively related now?
1: Um, um, yes, I'd say so, because they're diffused. They're diffused throughout the, the galaxy.
0: Okay, let's go back to, um, I'd like to speak about the, um, if uh, Sam is recording this, i got to grab my question here, so don't record all this, but let's see here, I wanted to talk about, uh, okay, yes, let's talk about, uh, you mentioned the Anukai, let's talk about them, now, My kind of understanding from some of the texts, and I haven't really gotten into Zachariah Ascension and these texts and what they're related because it says that they created us. And I know that that's not true. That's a myth propagated by their story that they told the earth people at that time and these ancient records, but they actually were part of the genetic altering of the species now, from my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, um, were they from Niburu and they were mining gold and they had influence here for a while and then as their planet moved away, they stopped having influence? Who are the Anukai? Where do they come from? What is their uh, relationship to the Earth? What was it? What is it now? Uh,
1: the Anunnaki come from... Uh uh, come from a world um, that bro- uh, that broke off from the Sirius star system uh, there's actually three stars in the Sirius system. One is a brown dwarf uh, which doesn 't orbit Sirius but it 's nearby and then you have Sirius A and B which uh, uh, which are in uh, um, in an eternal dance uh, with each other. So uh, this is a uh, this is a planet uh, that uh, broke away from the weak gravitational field of the brown dwarf star and uh, was uh, just careening through the galaxy until it entered our solar system and was trapped into a, uh, into a very highly elliptical orbit. So it doesn't come around, but uh, but every I think it's every 5,500 years. And okay it, it's not on the plane of the ecliptic. Uh so it actually comes over uh, uh over us over the plane of the ecliptic. And uh, so we we wouldn't see it unless we were at the uh unless we were at the north pole.
0: Okay. So uh that is what we would call Nibiru, correct?
1: Um yes, uh Planet X or Neburu. Nibiru. Nibiru.
0: Okay. So Nibiru, um, I mean, I don't know, maybe you can speculate here, but so this planet is uh, just kind of crane through space, is not uh, revolving around the sun, and then finally it reaches here. What happened to the civilization on there? I mean, the surface, I mean, the atmosphere. What is the situation for a planet with that long of uh, a time in outer space till so it's captured here? And with its extremely long elliptical orbit um how does the sun uh 5500 years is a long orbital period i mean compared to oh yes to,
1: it's very far out there and uh scientists in france and uh, astronomers in chile and other places have you know, calculated that uh it's about uh, 25 times the distance of uh uh of the Earth from the Sun, so it's twenty-five astronomical units out there. It's way out there, and, and so their civilization is developed largely underground, as with other uh, uh, other planets with uh, uh, hostile conditions on the surface.
0: Okay, so take us a little bit through um, the. Uh, former serious inhabitants, and um, what were they thinking when they came here? This is an example of a central race that's not that evolved. If they're coming here, setting themselves up as gods, genetically altering the species, and I'm not an expert on this information, but it seems that there were some of the the Anukai had disagreements amongst themselves about how they were treating the earth, and um, Tell us a little bit about what they were thinking when they came here, um, and um, has that changed
1: um, well it it, it it has changed um, they um, They did need gold um, which uh, is in relative abundance on earth compared to other planets. Gold is a material that's actually formed in the heart of uh, of novas exploding stars, so it's very very rare, very rare material, but it's essential for space travel
0: and now um on Venus, of course, they have replicators, gold has the same value as lead i would imagine
1: um yes they can uh, uh, they they can fabricate whatever they need
0: right so obviously the anuka Ananuk, how do you pronounce it?
1: uh the anunnaki
0: anunnaki Um, Uh, the
1: the planet is the the planet is named anu and the 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 people are the naki so it's the the people of anu the anunnaki
0: okay very cool all right well thanks for filling me in on that i'm sorry for you anunnaki lovers and followers for my (laughs) mispronunciation uh but um so they did need gold. They came here and I guess they were, uh, they said, Oh, the gods are here. And they kind of said, yeah, right. That's right. We're your gods. Go ahead and do that. Right.
1: Um, yes. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, if they, they ask you if you're, if you're a god, of course you are. (laughs) Uh, Otherwise they're going to kill you.
0: Really? They were the same as the conquistadors. If You didn't have the gold. They'd kill
1: you. Um, well, they were, um, um, they were, br- they were brutal. They could have done it better.
0: Right. So they just said, look, we're only, our planet's only going to be in range here for a hundred years and we're going to have to, we're going to need as much gold as we can. So, okay.
1: Uh, I- you know, I mean, the earth is, uh, compared to other places in the, uh, in the universe, it's, um, uh, it, you would, it's not where you'd r- really want to be stranded.
0: Yeah. You mean where they live?
1: Uh, uh, on the earth, you know, it, it's kind of like, a, a backwater of the, of the galaxy. It's on the rim of the galaxy.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like, a. Uh, it's kind of like going into a kind of an inbred situation with <laughs> crazy thoughts and feelings. And, uh, but I mean, kind of clearly showing that their spiritual development and their compassion had not reached any level of any degree. If that's the way they treated the the least of of their fellow creation,
1: yeah, yeah they they weren't um, they weren't anything to be uh, to speak of much to speak of on the spiritual scale.
0: Okay, so uh, that's interesting. Um, One of the things, uh, and we'll get into this in future things, folks, but if those of you have not read about the Inner Earth series from Peter Moon, who discusses the Montauk Project books with Preston Nichols and all that stuff, uh, the Philadelphia Experiment and all those types of things, he's been working on a series of books recently, and I'd like to make them famous as possible. Please check out. Transylvanian sunrise, Transylvanian moonrise, Egypt, the first tunnel, and uh, the inner earth, the second tunnel. I'm not going to go into those books, but um, you're going to find out some stuff there. Now, that complex in Brusegi with the tunnels beneath the earth, uh, with all of these records that were kept inside the earth there, are being rediscovered. And the uh, the Queen of Venus Raymond's friend Dolores Berrios has said that the Brusigi complex was created by a hybrid race of the Anunnaki and humans. Um, so we're going to revisit that in the future. So we're. We've learned about Nibiru, where it came from, the civilization uh, in the past. And hopefully they've evolved uh, in 1,500 years. When they come by again, we'll be better equipped to uh, have friendly relationships with them. So would you say that the Anunnaki were mentioned in the Bible, or are they limited to the Sumerian cuneiform tablets? Um
1: yeah, there was a lot of crossover between these cultures. For example, the epic of Gilgamesh is uh, largely based, or the uh, the Book of Genesis is, uh, and the the account of the Great Flood is largely based on the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is uh, uh which is uh, from the Sumerian region. So um, there's a lot of crossover there, and uh, and even uh, Abraham himself. Um, uh, comes from an area of uh present day Iraq uh near the um yeah Gulf of Basra uh near Basra and it's uh uh not far from where the the uh Tigris and the Euphrates the confluence of the two rivers comes together and uh Ur of the Chaldees is where he's from and uh that was an area that was uh uh part of the babylonian and and later assyrian empire and 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 uh this so there's definitely a lot of crossovers and connections between ancient civilizations of the middle east
0: okay uh why don't you uh, take us through i'm not a biblical scholar you're a biblical scholar and many other scholars <laughs> so, well, uh, tell tell me about the epic of Gilgamesh, and um, maybe you can kind of give us the uh, cosmic background to that, and the conditions from any of your knowledge.
1: Well, we we know that uh, that that area was inundated by a great uh, a great flood because all the civilizations have a record uh, of it and of uh, survivors. Uh, people who were able to build uh, to build ships and to uh, escape the destruction that that resulted from it.
0: Okay, this uh, coincides with uh, what Luis Fernando or Mostajo Fernando Martens, our friend from Bolivia, says: um, is that um, the Atlantean patriarchs. At that time, those that were in tune with the golden disk of the sun recognized the um, uh, misuse of the disk that was uh, going to take place once again. And I guess, uh, you know, Noah said God told him. Now, is this possibly the administration of the Galactic Confederation, or was this considered a... A decree from the higher heavens in the spiritual hierarchy or the pleroma of our galaxy that was decreed and and presented to Noah as from God? Or is this like, uh, uh, look, we got some problems. The earth is going to have an issue. People won't believe it, but we need you to kind of create a genetic repository or something. I mean, uh, take us through the the flood of noah and i understand there were many noahs he wasn't the only uh, person that was building this large uh, these large boats allegedly now um clearly the extraterrestrials at that time must have had some contact with atlantis um and i'm sure that the the space administration confederation alliance groups must have um, done some genetic harvesting uh, to to keep the earth's dna uh, safe for those that wasn't founded but maybe you can explain how much rain really came how much of the mountains and civilizations survived i mean we kind of get this image of wow the whole earth was covered in water but you know Maybe it wasn't that much water. It was a lot, but uh, it takes a little bit through the flood, through Noah, the Atlantean patriarchs, and what you know about the the ark and the DNA and what that story is about.
1: Oh, yes. Well, um, there is a lot of speculation about the extent of the flood. That That's true. And um, like the creationists uh, will argue that it was a global Catastrophe, and uh, there seems to be some evidence of that. I mean, there's seashells and so forth on the the slopes of the Himalayas of all of all places. Uh, there's an uh, a, an ocean uh, a line there in the strata in the rocks. Uh, so it, it seems that it, that it was really uh, quite an extensive uh, flood. And the, the Bible account says that the um, that uh, there were springs of water gushing out from the earth to add to the rain that was uh, that was coming down. So, um, um, I do know that uh, the Bible gives an account uh, before the flood of of people living um, up to or, or over a, th- a thousand years, like Methuselah and some of the other patriarchs in the Old Testament. So if the, if the earth had a much denser atmosphere at that time then um it would have um uh protected the people uh I you know, with the higher ozone content protected them from radiation so that they would okay. live longer. So I think I think that there's a lot of truth there in the Old Testament and that it's probably accurate to say that uh that uh, that it was. Uh, we'll just say it was a, the flood was very expansive. It at least covered Asia, or a good, a good part of Asia.
0: Okay, um, was this during uh, the? This is the ten thousand years ago, approximately ten to twelve thousand years ago, the time of the flood. That was the what they call the final sinking of Atlantis. Um, and can you talk about? were there other Noah's and what, what do you know other than the biblical version?
1: Uh, well, Gilgamesh was one, one of them that I just re- referenced. Right. And, but
0: uh, other than the Bible, I want to hear what your knowledge is from, uh, cosmic sources and, and what your understanding of it is. I mean, uh, you could only research the Akashic records so much up there, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes,
1: well, the, uh, uh, of course, um, there were two supercontinents uh, on the earth that aren't there, that aren't here now, um, just traces of them. Uh, we had Atlantis uh, uh, beyond the pillars of Hercules or beyond the Straits of Gibraltar in the uh, uh, covering parts of the Atlantic and even extending into the Caribbean. The, uh, the capital of that was uh, Poseidon. And it had uh it had uh, nine um nine departments or um or provinces if you want. And uh, then in the Pacific, uh in a in a triangle between uh Hawaii, uh Samoa, Tonga and in, in the south, and then Easter Island, uh we had uh, the continent of Lemuria, the capital being Mu. And uh, it's interesting there that um, the wife of the uh, Japanese Prime Minister uh, wrote, uh, wrote a book about ancient Lemuria and publishes a magazine about it. And uh, she claimed that she took a trip to Venus and um, gained all this information about, it. she researched about the history of, of her people and the connection with the continent uh, ancient continent of Lemuria and uh, so that that's um, uh, something that you know you could read about that in the uh, I wrote about it in the Venus rising in the first book
0: okay so um, Lemuria so what happened uh, from the emerald tablets uh, we hear that there was some dark forces that infiltrated, uh, seemed to uh, maybe even body snatch some of the leaders, and uh, were kind of running a a hidden coup on the planet from beneath the surface to influence um, the planets uh, into warlike ways. I mean, is that true? Can you talk a little bit about the destruction of Lemurian Atlantis? Did they actually go to war or did they were misusing technology? From what I understand, they're misutilizing uh pyramid energy and crystals. Um. Uh,
1: yes, they were. And uh and uh Albert Coe, a contactee from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the in the late teens and early nineteen twenties, uh, uh learned much about it as well. And uh, uh, he had uh, been to Venus and um, uh, was in contact with many Venusians, and he even um, uh, wrote all of this down. And um, uh, there's an account of uh, of Atlantis and Lemuria um, that he learned from the Venusians that I put in the Venus book, Venus Rising book.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: I uh, yes, there was war between uh, Atlantis and Lemuria. There were, there were extraterrestrials uh, that were rogue, rogue elements from throughout the, the galaxy, uh, including from Venus too. That were coming down there, to Atlantis and Lemuria, and uh, and taking sides. And so, uh, for the part of the Venusians, they had to come come down and remove. Uh, Remove uh, the the colonists and some of their descendants, and take them back to Venus because they were sharing technology with the At- Atlanteans and the Lemurians in a, in an arms race.
0: Yeah, we're having a little uh, technical difficulty, Sam. So uh, what he said is they're sharing information with the uh, Atlanteans. So. So, the, uh, the Venetians came down and said, look, that's not part of what we're doing here. We're not going to let you get involved in uh, taking sides uh, in preparing for war. So, they removed those uh, individuals and took the technology and some of their descendants back to Venus,
1: huh? Yes, that that's right.
0: Okay, wow. So, this is some interesting stuff, folks. We're getting a little bit of insight to the, the politics be- between the floods. So... Uh, it seems like, uh, uh, you know, here we are 10,000 years later, uh, and some of the same scenarios are being played out now. It seems as though from, um, our other discussions, which we'll get into in the future a little bit, we'll talk about Queen Victoria Venus repelling the Saurian invasion and all that stuff. Uh, you know what, um. Maybe I'll just since I've mentioned it, I'll just go into that a little bit. Raymond had mentioned that uh, the Venusians have kept a close eye on Earth, and uh, this is the Earth, this solar system on the physical plane is their territory, so to speak, being the highest manifestation of love on the physical plane in the solar system. They are the guardians of this physical dimension. And they keep a close why and a watch. On any other extraterrestrials coming in, and uh, they must have permission through the Galactic Confederation and through the Venusian uh, Administration whether they can have contact here. Otherwise, they would be considered um, in violation and rogue elements. So, um, talk a little bit, uh, if you could. Um, about Queen Victoria in the past. Uh, I think you were mentioning it was in Greece, Greek times. Uh, I, you can probably give us the, the date approximately, but folks, the Venusians were here and they had noticed a Saurian invasion. Now, I don't know if this is reptilian. This may be, there's a famous UFO of, uh, taking pictures in one of the pyramids. I think, uh, either beneath Giza or maybe in South America, of a reptilian, kind of like a Veloraptor type of thing, (laughs) that was seen by a camera and kind of ran away. But um, I believe that these beings um, actually did feast on human flesh, and at certain points uh, the Toltecs degenerated, and these once- Uh, benevolent extraterrestrial landing spots were turned into these horrific uh, human sacrifices uh, that we hear about Um, I don't want to go too much into that but Raymond could you talk about the Venusians observing that the Saurians are coming here and trying to infiltrate the earth Um, and what the Venusians did Queen Victoria the final battle and them crash landing, I believe it was in uh, in Greece, correct?
1: Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, well, this is very short, and it's from uh, pages one eighty one and one eighty two of uh, Venus Rising. So uh, okay. I-, I could go ahead and and, and read it and share okay. it because it's not uh, it's not too long. Strangest asks Doctor Frank Stranges, asked if the mothership was a vessel of war insofar as it was named Victory One. He wanted to know if it received that title in commemoration of a great battle in which it played some decisive and prevailing role. To this, Commander Thor replied that his mothership was named after one of the ancient defenders of Earth, Victoria, who served as an admiral of the Venusian fleet, repelling an invasion from the Draconis system in which Saurian aliens we attempting to secure a foothold in the area of our planet that we now recognize as the Mediterranean basin. So I have a, a a a nice footnote for that at the bottom of the page as well that people can check it out. After the defeat of these reptilian interlopers, Victoria successfully landed her triumphant but crippled command ship in the heights of Mount Olympus in Greece where it was repaired and then served as the base of operation for the Venusians and other allied Solarians for nearly 1,500 years. Like the other extraterrestrials on board the command ship, she would occasionally descend from Mount Olympus and interact with the human population below. Fearful of the technological power that Victoria and the other advanced beings displayed, our ancestors erroneously assumed that they were gods and had come down among them. Thor further explained that despite the extraterrestrials' denial of divinity, the ancient Greeks and Italians were adamant in refusing to believe them. Uh, In 382, uh, it should be A.D., by the reckoning of our time, Thor told strangers that Victoria herself held a long conversation with the Roman Emperor, Gratianus, informing him that while she and the other extraterrestrials were happy to help humankind develop their own technology and progress as a species, they were nevertheless displeased when human beings put them up on pedestals and worshipped them as so-called gods and goddesses. She explained to the emperor that there was only one god in the entirety of the universe that any beings, including themselves, need concern themselves with. Therefore she kindly asked Gratianus to have her statue removed from the central plaza in Rome for she had become weary of the incessant worship bestowed upon her by every Roman general returning triumphantly from war war with neighboring states. Victoria voiced no objection to those thankful for her and the other extraterrestrial's assistance in repelling the Saurian invaders so long ago graciously receiving the thanks and adulation of the the Roman people. However, she was clearly opposed to her brand, so to speak, being linked to aggression and imperialism and the expansion of the Roman Empire against the will of other peoples. While Gratianus complied with Victoria's wishes, he nevertheless met stiff opposition from the military class that had so facilitated a cult of war surrounding her. And Thor emphasized that his mothership, like Victoria's, was a vessel devoted to scientific exploration, research, and above all, peace, and that he too should not be considered as a god in any sense, even though many would probably like to make one out of him.
0: Yeah, well, that's pretty clear, folks. So here we're, we're hearing the true history of the gods of Mount Olympus and uh, how humans have uh, uh, keep choosing to put people on pedestals. I see that in the UFO movement, too. I want to put Raymond on a pedestal, but mostly just for knowledge and for his experience. But you you got to question everything, um, you know, even Cobra. I have to say Cobra has received a lot of cult-like uh, activity around him. There are packs of trolls who will attack anyone who says anything against Cobra or, or what he states. Uh, we need to have critical thinking. Uh, Corey Good also has seemed to have amassed a, uh, a cult following of people who are so very vested in uh, the interest of the beliefs or the information that he's sharing. Um, so let's keep our minds open. Let's question everything and let's. Find the answers uh, within ourselves and what resonates, and be true to that. And um, if if you're honest and open, uh, you'll make course corrections, and you'll always find your way home towards the the source of love and light. Now, let's go back here. Just kind of a, I kind of missed that part. They were here for fifteen hundred years on Mount Olympus.
1: Yes, yes, that's 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 right.
0: Whoa! So uh, wait a, so wait a minute. So I got a question here. The ship was crippled. Were they forced to be there? Or, uh, I mean, come on, Venusians? if one ship repelled an invasion, they didn't have other ships to come and get them and evacuate. What was the story? Where is that ship now? Is it still crippled? Did they bury it? Uh, did they get fixed? Uh, why were they here for 1,500 years?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, uh, well, some other uh, contacts with Venusians have... Uh, have elaborated on this uh one of them was um um a speaker up there in paradise california a chiropractor uh from los angeles he went up there in the in the early 1950s to uh uh, the garrett's pal and dixie garrett's uh, uh, Mm um flying saucer club and um uh, he he talked about it he said that uh that uh, the ship was repaired and 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 brought back but uh, that uh, the venusians did all they could to protect the earth at that time and the the war was uh uh was not only on the earth but in other uh worlds in the solar system as well and uh, george damski somewhat alluded to it in in his book he talks about uh, um, the bible's reference to the war in the, the heavens and that when you look at the moon and mars and the, the cratered um, areas that uh, a a lot of that is uh from bombardment and uh and uh an interplanetary war that took place that took place right in our own solar system
0: it sounds like interplanetary wars now um these wars in the heaven, we're going back to only two thousand years. Are you claiming yes, that they're... These,
1: yes, these extended on the earth as well, Rob. Um in India there there's um a Niger, I, of
0: Yes, the Mahabharata and the and these things. Um uh, so I wanna go back to my question. So were they here for fifteen hundred years by choice?
1: Uh yes. Um uh, they could have left well
0: it, before, but they decided to stay.
1: They, they, they could have left, but, uh, but they decided to to stay here and uh, keep an eye on the ground, so to speak. Have have some boots on the ground, just in case.
0: Right. Okay, so they, they were kind of in a protectorate position on Mount Olympus, which explains uh, the labors of Hercules, of the Son of Man uh, climbing up, aspiring to be a son of God. And going to Mount Olympus and, and getting these tasks. Um interesting, interesting, very interesting. So I'd like to ask um 232 AD. So they were around during the time of Christ.
1: Um, yes, yes, they were they, they were around.
0: So did Christ go up and visit, possibly, <laughs> get a little tune up. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. A, I
1: I couldn't speak for. I I couldn't speak for you. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, uh, that certainly is very interesting. Um, I I guess it kind of holds. Uh, while the Romans um, were kind of adamant, you know, with by Jove, the god, which means Jupiter, the the god of uh-huh. Jupiter, they can kind of considered these celestial objects or. Or planets as gods. I mean, it it seems that at least from reality, they had some real physical contacts. Is that correct?
1: Oh, yes. Yes, definitely.
0: I wonder if any intrepid uh, mountaineer could probably go up there. Would they be repelled or they just kind of see a bunch of Venusians sitting around playing music or something? What would happen?
1: (laughs) No, I'm sure that they, uh, uh, if they could have if they, they could have gotten up, up there, they uh, they would have been uh, dissuaded by some means uh, long before they reached uh, uh, any habitation to, to turn back.
0: Right. They might have put the uh, kind of Venusian uh, mind block on them and they would have turned around out of fear. Or something. <laughs> interesting, interesting it's, stuff. It,
1: it's interesting, though, that... They, they, you, that you mentioned uh, uh, Jesus because um he um, uh, you know he said that uh, he came down here to um, to do uh, to do his father's will and and nothing was going to dissuade him he didn't want uh, any interference um, he told his apostles not to take up swords and uh, uh, and and fight On his behalf, Uh, he just wanted to present his message and then and and leave it at that.
0: Okay, so, yeah, we'll get into Christ. I want to get a little background first before we go into Christ's mission and all that. And, um, you know, for all of you people who realize a lot of the lies of the church and the Bible and all this stuff, the way it's been interpreted. I want to make it clear that um, I respect the avatar and the life of the master Jesus as the Christ and what that means. Um, At the same time, I'm not going to parrot some Christian thing. If I just say, Jesus is my savior, uh, loose the spirits from my head. And uh, he's the only God and everything's coming here and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's, The universe is more complicated than that, folks. But, um, Raymond, why don't you share uh, a little bit, I guess, right now about the life of the Master Jesus um, and what his mission was, what his mission is, and uh, the fact that he's not just recognized on Earth. Maybe you can speak to the... Administration, so to speak, of the interdimensional universe and the role that uh, the master uh, Jesus Christ played.
1: Oh yes, well, uh, Dr. Frank spoke about uh, Jesus and his mission quite extensively uh, uh, throughout his his life, and of course he was an ordained minister, um, an evangelical minister. Uh, so I have a lot of respect for uh, for him for that, and uh, he quotes uh, Valiant Thor, and um, I have some documents there that um, uh, reference Jesus extensively uh, by Doctor Frank as quote quotations from Valiant Thor. So uh, Jesus was recognized. Uh, uh, not only as a teacher uh, on Earth, but uh, other planets as well, and as a as a supreme manifestation of uh, of the Godhead.
0: Right. So one of the the highest, or if not the highest incarnation, uh, on the physical plane of uh, the Father's will.
1: Yes. Yes. That's that's right. And that, and, and as I mentioned before about spiritual leaders Um, in the venus rising book i look at uh, at uh, uh, various churches and uh, religious groups and their leaders and their connection with the uh, with the planet venus and it seems they all have some venus connection Um, for example the uh, siddhartha was sitting under the bodhi tree and uh, he went there to watch the, the uh, rise of the morning star, or Venus as the morning star, uh, Shukra. Uh, they call Venus Shukra in India. Uh, then uh, Jesus is self-identified in uh, Revelation chapters uh, 22, verse 16, as uh, the bright and morning star and uh then the apostle peter and this his second uh in his second uh book in the New testament um, says that we should allow the the morning star to rise in our hearts and uh, so there's a christian deep christian connection um, uh Emmanuel Swedenborg who was the um founder of the New Jerusalem Church, as well as a famous Swedish scientist and theologian. Uh, he he uh, wrote a book about a trip to Venus and about the various levels of incarnations and people that he found there that were from, from the Earth and kind of attending a cosmic school there. Uh, Dante uh, oh, wrote that. about Venus, a trip to Venus in his, uh, the third and ninth canto of the Paradiso, um, in the Divine Comedy, uh, so that, so this is, um, a, a real connection with, uh, spiritual forces, and it's, uh, uh, it's, um, uh, a very profound and beautiful thing. Let's
0: talk about the poet Virgil.
1: <laughs> yes, and then going back, uh, Going back even further, we have uh, uh, Lady Venus herself, who guides um, uh, who guides Aeneas to the founding of the Roman Roman Empire, the city of Rome, and leads a band of warriors uh, from the from the devastation of the of the of Troy and the Trojan War um, on uh, on an Odyssey uh, to found the city of uh, of Rome. And so th- this is why we so, see all the the Roman Empire, uh, all the uh, Roman emperors, uh, acknowledge uh, Venus as their mother.
0: Okay, so um, there was actually a physical contact with Venusian, uh, leaving uh, the um, the Trojans. Uh, was it the Trojans or?
1: Yes, yes. Uh-huh.
0: The defeated Trojans to, to found the city of Rome. Uh, uh, really interesting to see how the extraterrestrials have have taken part in our history, either uh, behind the scenes. Back then there wasn't, you know, television or media, so they could lead a band and not really interfere that much other than like a, as a, a guide to get them there and to let nature take its course. That's really very fun and cool, so folks, I want you to know that we do have a very close association with Venus, um, our sister, our cousin planet, and that uh, they are very benevolent, they have our best intentions in mind, and um, going back to the the life of Christ, um, I think um, I wanted to talk about the the aspect of of Christ being the highest incarnation of the father's will and go a little bit into a theological discussion here in regards to um, the infinite creator. There's only one creator and you shouldn't worship um, um, Queen Victoria or any other extraterrestrials. Um, Dr. Frank seemed to think he said, and I guess it's a part of Venusian as they do, He called the term worship, but he was very biblically oriented. So, um, and I imagine when you're in the presence of a a great master and being, there's a tendency to worship or whatever that is. Can you kind of clarify a little bit more about the incarnation of Christ? Was this a master that was overshadowed by a higher aspect of the creator for a certain incarnation? And does that master still have that overshadowing, or from that experience I mean this is another great mystery uh in regards to those who recognize Christ without um you know are we worshiping a being that's that's not God synonymous with God because we're all part and parcel of the universal one. This is the nature of the holographic universe. And God is, as you said, um, you know, as I say, is within all names and forms and yet beyond all names and forms.
1: Mm-hmm. So we
0: could call one form, one human, one ant, one speck of dust, part of God or an aspect of God. Is it the same thing with the master Jesus? Uh, or is, is that a special incarnation? Um, I mean... I think I understand that you said he was actually a Venusian master and was uh, chosen to come here to hold the Christ. Uh, Can you go a little bit into that dialectic of Jesus, the man, the spiritual teacher, the master versus being the creator? Or was he an aspect of the creator or one who has the most, possible uh, attunement to the creator's will, and therefore is non-different. I mean, I'm going to let you just Uh, roll roll with that. Um,
1: uh, Yes. Well, in the Bible, um, it's in the book of Hebrews, and uh, it describes uh, Jesus as the firstborn among many of the children of light. So he's he's the firstborn of, of creation in the material creation. And uh, in the in the Venus Rising book, I explore that connection, and um, it's a very pro- profound one with a lot of uh, of, of biblical so- um, sources and scriptures, so people can cross reference it and uh, and and check it out. But I go into de- detail about it. Uh, suffice it to say that Jesus had said that uh, um, if you. S- if you've seen me, that you've seen the Father also.
0: Okay, so... uh, Okay, I want to go into the other aspect, something that you quoted that might give it uh, another thing. You said that um, um, God is the... who's, uh, who's... what did you say? The circumference is nowhere, but everywhere. Give us that 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 quote. Kind of might let people mind wrap themselves into a paradox that doesn't disrespect the Master Jesus. And there may be some fanatical Christians who are going to just want to.
1: Oh, his his center is everywhere, but his circumference is nowhere.
0: There you go. That, that,
1: that's the uh, uh, that, that's the quote. It's meaning that the. Uh, the individualization contains the spark of the divine. So, as, as you said, that it's in everybody.
0: Right. And that spark uh, of the, the divine, I would call the Christ consciousness. Some people call it the Krishna consciousness, because these universal avatars who come here are teaching the same universal message. And delivering it to the cultural uh, sensibilities of the people at the time, and it seems like every single time there's always problems, and uh, this message wants to be uh, quelled, usually through murder.
1: <laughs> yes, I mean, but it's very, it's a, it's a very simple yet pr- profound one, and uh, the best analogy is uh, that of the, of the raindrop, because it precipitates in the clouds and uh falls to the earth goes into a river and then you know rolls out into the uh I- into the ocean and then it's part of the you know if you take the this the raindrop by itself one raindrop that represents an individual consciousness as it begins to merge with other with other raindrops and then it's a little rivulet then a river and then it's into the ocean and then it's the ocean is representative of the mass consciousness
0: right i understand so it's like a drop in the in the ocean of love and mercy so to speak so that um, uh, so,
1: so you merge with the you merge with the uh, the larger consciousness uh when well, when jesus was on the earth and he explained um, that uh, he had a he was establishing a church uh, the the word uh, for church in the Greek is ecclesia, which just means uh, a collection of people, an assembly. And uh, so the the assembly of the firstborn, uh, as described in Hebrews, it means just uh, Jesus and his people, his his followers, whoever believes in him, wherever they are. It's not a physical building.
0: Right. The, the real church is uh, the church of, of the mental attitude of understanding and worshiping the eternal nature of, of the Father or creation. We want to ascribe to it an anthropomorphic image, but in reality, uh, Jesus gave the, the description as the Father so that we would understand the loving care that a father has. Uh, for his child it being a patriarchal time that he was born in, it could just as easily have been the mother God, correct?
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, because, uh, well, John, you know, explained that the apostle John, uh, the, the, the young, the youngest of the apostles and the friend of Jesus, um, uh, that, that also wrote the book of revelation. He said that God is a spirit. And so, uh, uh, a spirit is um uh, is neutral and really beyond our understanding in the in the physical universe
0: right and that's one of the problems we have here is our dualistic materialistic thinking that wants to contain everything and to break it down into science to claim ownership and rulership when in reality the universe is a mighty mystery, and that we are Only able to uh, look and adore at the the beautiful creation, we we can't contain it or try to control it or to claim it is one way or the other because it is every way and every other. So this is part of the human condition that desires to know and to control. I think this is kind of a sickness. I think one of the big things that Jesus came to teach was imagination. That, as we tune into the infinite, we have created potential ourselves to utilize god 's gifts and to expand our thinking and knowledge for the betterment of our fellow man and to uh, influence others to towards the truth in some way so um,
1: that's a wonderful message um uh, and that's uh, reiterated by our friend uh, omne Onek in in her books and oh. uh, and in her talks she talks about the uh the power of an uh of imagination, and that's used to um create uh, create things spiritually before they manifest um, um, in the physical universe yeah that's yeah, kind of uh, like when god spoke things into existence they had to be imagined first
0: right that's the the mighty mystery who who was the first imaginer, the first cause and that's never going to be known uh at least until next thursday um <laughs> <laughs> anyway um so uh we got to keep an open mind and we have to keep a loving heart and there's another aspect of ourselves known as our intuition. Uh, some people call it gnosis. Uh, Robert Heinlein called it grokking. It's taking everything that we know and, and placing our awareness on something and having a complete experience of it as, as opposed to a book learning uh, intellectual knowledge that is bereft of of experience which denies wisdom when that takes place. So um, we have a lot to learn in our way that we learn and how we experience the world. And this is part of the great uh, flowering that's coming forth now as the truth is being revealed to the planet right now. Many people are involved in the conflict of the breaking of the old systems or paradigms or belief structures of the false gods of materialism, of war, jealousy, hate, greed, vanity, lust, all of these lower emotional attachments based on the material plane. The true kingdom of heaven and the Christ consciousness lies within, within your attitude and within your open mind and your open heart. And Christ made the message so simple if we all see each other as brothers and sisters under one living father we must get along with our family and love them and furthermore we must forgive others for their ignorance and we have a right to defend ourselves or to extricate ourselves from a situation um obviously he could have not taken the bitter cup the cop that the father, as he called him, gave to him. But uh, he chose to lay down his life because he knew uh, he was in control and he could resurrect his body because he was of that consciousness. Uh, would you agree with that?
1: Oh, 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 oh yes, I certainly would. I, um, I, he knew that um, he had a mission to uh, bring enlightenment here to the earth and he was going to do it no matter what. And uh, he, he did accomplish uh, his mission and sealed his testimony with his own blood. And um, so uh, we have to, we definitely have to respect that.
0: Oh, my God. I can't believe we've been talking for an hour and 34 minutes. <laughs> uh, Sam, I'm going to have you give this to me and then I'm going to make a, a break here on the, um, the taping thing. So, uh, so let's go back. I had the other question there. Let's talk about Virgil. Okay. And uh, how he related to Venus from the uh, ancient historical, uh, I guess, uh, what we have of the records of the intelligentsia of, of our early history. Not that early, just a
1: couple thousand so <laughs> go ahead okay uh well um uh, Virgil was born in uh, seventy uh, b c uh, in Mantua in Italy and um, um, became very interested in uh, in lit- literature and cosmologies and studied these uh, uh, studied these in school and um, and uh, uh became a uh, uh, suffered with a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of illnesses and, and, and setbacks, so he, he uh, you know, physical uh, ailments, so he, um, you know, turned his attention to, uh, uh, to subjects of, of mythic importance and uh, began to research and, and write these. So he was a historian, a writer, and a poet, and uh, was very fascinated with uh uh with the cosmology of the greeks and the uh and and the romans and uh uh besides writing books on uh on agricultural science and uh, histories of uh uh of the the roman empire he um uh he wrote the uh, uh You know, he wrote about Venus and Venusians (laughs) in in his day, to his understanding, anyway.
0: And then what happened, uh, allegedly, he had a contact with uh, someone called Lady Ankara. Now, did Lady Ankara, I'm not familiar with the writings of Virgil, uh, but um, did he know that she was from Venus? Did she have a spaceship? Was it just a Angelic presence that kind of presented itself to him, and he have a series of conversations or uh, a series of, I guess, contacts.
1: Well, ba- back in the day when uh, when Venusians would uh, uh, would manifest in the in the ancient Mediterranean world, uh, they would often be in disguise for a long time until they would uh, uh, ultimately reveal who they uh, uh, who who they were. And um, um there's a real good reference for that, too.
0: So I'm wondering, um, was she uh, she probably uh, would she have landed at, at Lady Victoria's ship and maybe took a little jaunt down to talk to Virgil, or uh, was she directly from Venus? Would we know that?
1: Well, she would have gotten to know him as a friend first.
0: Mm-hmm. and then
1: uh eventually reveal um who she was and uh i'm gonna uh, oh it's in the other uh no it's in this one um, yeah so, there's uh about the uh, about how that happens and everything it's um oh yeah two seventy two
0: maybe i am kind of curious uh, we talk about Virgil, you know, he had physical disabilities. I'm wondering, um, uh, what was the karma there? I mean, uh, for uh, physical disabilities, let's say it was his, his first incarnation. Why would he have had physical disabilities? I mean.
1: Well, even that. You know, Paul, uh, the apostle, he addressed this kind of thing as to why people have disabilities. He said that he had himself a thorn in the flesh, referring to some type of dis disability that we arrive here uh, and we have we have setbacks and we have disabilities and 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 physical problems because we live in a uh, in a temporality. We live in the
0: Entropic universe, yeah.
1: Uh, Yes, we we live in this entropic universe, and uh, but it's all for our development, you know, how we it's not, um, it's how we deal with it and um, how we develop ourselves, and if we keep a positive attitude and don't give up. A lot of people sometimes it it will lead us into avenues that will, um, uh, that will. Bring us enlightenment and, and and happiness if we follow if we follow them
0: we follow our suffering to the bitter end <laughs> we, we <find> <laughs> <hope>. <laughs> you know yes. we, we may disregard the thorns and finally get to the rose um,
1: oh here's the uh the thing I want to do uh to read to you okay um, okay. um this is um It appears that apart from the main gods from whom the planets of the solar system and other celestial objects are named, the Roman religion included a plurality of minor deities. Of these lesser gods, Roman historian Harold Mattingly writes that their range was as varied as life itself. Nymphs of sea, hill, and woodland, genii, or spirits of persons and places. Beneficent powers had found expression in, so, ...in the social and personal life of the people, Pax Pietas, Concordia, and the rest, countless little powers, and revealed at a flash in isolated acts, and vanishing as soon as revealed. The world, in fact, was full of gods, and their forms were many. Throughout the empire, its citizens and subjects were cognizant that gods came in many forms and assumed a human appearance for our benefit. Um, Of this transformative phenomena, Mattingly continues, when fully realized, the gods were realized as persons and as the only real persons in our experience are human, they were therefore represented in human form. They had their own houses, their own temples and images that attested to their presence there and then i and then I continue on about this this subject, uh, but Weisman continues that incidentally striking proof of the power of the belief in other gods was provided by the fact that early Christians acknowledged their existence but thought that they were creations uh, of a lower power. This is important to keep in mind when considering. The evolution of magic in the Basque country and its ties to extraterrestrial interventions and da da da.
0: So, um, <clears throat> what we're talking about here, folks, is of course the multidimensional nature of the universe. We want to just think everything is material and then spiritual, but there's various gradations of the subtle interpenetration of the various dimensions, which we're going to get into the future. But. Uh, Basically speaking, it's known as what is called the Pleroma. So, Raymond, can you talk a little bit, uh, give us your version of the Pleroma, and, uh, of course, in fact, some of these ancient understandings of wood nymphs, genies, fairies, spirits, and uh, these beings um, were obviously certain aspects maybe of native life to our earth that we're unable to see now or have hidden themselves from the profane materialistic mind of man. But there is a greater Pleroma uh, within the universe of uh, higher dimensional beings that exist in the realms beyond the material plane. Could you talk a little bit about the Pleroma and how this is related to Uh, Let's take a Venusian perspective on this since it's a little more elevated than we would think of.
1: Okay. uh, uh, Well, on Earth, we just limit our understanding of the universe to what we can see. But uh, the universe is much more than that. There's dark matter. There's uh, X-rays, radio waves, a lot of things that we can't see, but, uh, but, but we can detect. Um, and so the, the, the ancients realized this, the Gnostic, the Gnostic text, uh, Gnostic means knowledge or acquisition of knowledge, Gnosticism. The Gnostic text, uh, both pre-Christian and Christian Gnostic texts, uh, refer to unseen worlds that interact with our own other, uh, other dimensions. And, um. Uh John A. Keel, uh contemporary ufologist um, back in the 60s began to uh correlate uh UFO sightings and contactee experiences with uh, various manifestations of of phenomena. He had 14 categories of different phenomena that uh, that seemed to peak uh in relation to. UFO sightings, and uh, a lot of groups have investigated these connections, Uh, Borderland Sciences Research Association from the early 1940s on, Uh, George Adamski, the Royal Order of Tibet, the Theosophical Society, and uh, we know, for example, that uh, in our solar system, uh, as as theosophists and spiritualists, that we understand that... uh, that uh, even our solar system, there are many more planets in it than the ones that we can just see wh- with the naked eye or with a telescope. That there's actually about sixty planets in our in our solar system.
0: Wow. Okay. So this is going to blow some minds here, and this may relate to some of the information from Corey Good. I don't know if it's any true about the blue sphere beings that allegedly uh, these. Spheres throughout our solar system that uh, supposedly have been able to be seen or something. But um, can you please um, uh, elaborate a little bit more? Because people are going to freak out when they hear there's 60 planets. These don't have any signatures or effects or affecting any materialistic readings that our scientists would be. They're basically just invisible and and, uh, revolving around the sun.
1: Um, yes, uh, and on uh, on a spiritual plane or an, an ultra dimensional plane, and the the, the detect, uh, detection of these planets by their by their um, gravitational effects and radio signals, and that was uh, researched by a scientist in the British Isles in association with the Royal Observatory, and I write about it in my Venus book.
0: Okay, you got so many secrets in there that I haven't read in the Venus book. So, uh, so there are physical indications of these other spheres, and uh, they must uh, be pretty limited coming from a higher dimension. There's really nothing that our scientists at this point could pin down in any way to uh, prove or uh, observe this. I mean, it must. I mean.
1: Yeah, they they can detect an occasional manifestation or effect of the the movement or gravitation of these, these other orbs. And they're
0: considered uh an anomaly, right?
1: Yes, it'd just be some astronomical anomaly. Huh. Well it's it's interesting that Jesus um in the Gnostic uh, in the Gnostic uh text is quoted as saying that uh, that uh, in the pleroma which is the, the the name for the heavens um that an, an infant there's an infinite realm of inhabited worlds and and angels beyond beyond number that that he he said it even he didn't know what the end of it was
0: well there you have it so um uh, an infinite nature of the universe, and um, it, it's pretty, pretty mind boggling to start grasping some of this information. And those of us in our workaday world who find this fascinating and like science fiction, I'm going to ask you to bring this a little more into reality uh, to think about the possibility that what Raymond's saying is true. And as we get to know him a little more, you're going to hear even more and more experiences. that are pretty wild. And um, uh, I'm sure even you must have had uh, uh, quite a a shock as you were learning some of these things uh, when you had your trip to Venus. I mean, uh, did you know uh, about the role that bees play on Venus before you went there?
1: No. Yeah, so... Had no idea, really.
0: Right. So this is going to be a uh, uh, some amazing stuff. I don't want to get into that part now. I want to save that. It's, for,
1: it's it's interesting now that uh, when I go to beekeeper conventions, I sell more of these Venus books than at uh, at uh, UFO things.
0: Yeah, UFO- that's <laughs> yeah, that's because you're because <laughs> you're a humble guy sitting at your desk at your you know uh, he pretty much sits at his table. Throughout an entire conference, uh hoping to make some sales. Your your books, uh, as I've uh said in my introduction, folks, check out Raymond, his other articles on my My Teachers page under Truth References. So I
1: just came back, Rob, from uh from Youngville, Pennsylvania. I was in an American Legion Hall, a small town there, but there was a uh UFO conference there and uh, there was uh, 39 people there, and uh, I sold 13, uh, 13 Venus books there. So that's one out of every three. So uh, people recognize that there's that, that that there's something really positive there, and um, so I encourage everybody to you know check one out. Check uh, there's a there's even a Kindle version on uh, Amazon.
0: Yeah, well I, I think you're gonna see a little spike in sales as these uh interviews become more famous. Um you know, folks, uh I think I mentioned in my first interview, I um I pretty much have learned a, a lot and I have when I talk to people I usually just start out telling all of these fantastic stories um about Raymond and the experience. It's such a sci fi reality. Um so it's, uh, you know, really important for me to go slow with here and let Raymond do majority of the talking. You know, as you guys know, I sometimes do talk and, you know, give a metaphysical background to a question before I answer it. I'm a little different than some interviewers that way because I consider myself uh, to have knowledge and experience in these fields. I'm not like just a, you know, an interviewer who's just, asking questions without knowledge. I'm actually asking questions of people that I'm interested in and want to know. Some people uh, call me arrogant that way. So um, I disable the trolls, but um, it's just who I am. And um, I hope that some people appreciate that. Um, I have no desire for a following or anything like this. Um, You know, Raymond's, not concerned with fame i I think he deserves a lot more respect and i think that the ufo community should um uh, invite him to present more often but um as we see and find real contactees are not getting the attention that they really deserve and they're limited by their personalities too but um There's a lot of researchers who've never had a UFO experience who are out there telling people what's going on. (laughs) And I'm sorry, but, um, you know, maybe this is my opinion, but I I feel it's a well-deserved opinion that uh, people like Raymond, Louis, Dr. Frank Stranges, many other real contactees, um, you know, I'm not going to say Corey because I don't really – He's a UFO contact. I feel like he's a government mind-controlled slave who um, has had some extraordinary experiences. But uh, Cobra has had some real experiences. And all of us uh, have different uh, stories around our experiences. So just keep an open mind. And I'm going to ask you to continue to enjoy these interviews with Raymond As we go forward, Raymond, um, I'm going to want to go back where we started here with the Pleiadians, because I didn't want to knock the Pleiadians, Semyasi. I mean, obviously, they've been allowed here. They have some very benevolent activities towards us. Um, But you had indicated to me before we started the conversation, because I was kind of surprised to hear that they're not really part of the Confederation yet. But you've indicated that they're associated, and um, I'm not sure they've even applied or want to be a member of the Confederation. Can you talk a little bit about Semyasi, the planet era, and the benevolent uh, intentions of uh, Semyasi, that group, as far as we know, even though they're not official members of the Confederation? I think you said they're kind of like uh, associated with the Confederation, right?
1: Um, yes, they're uh, uh, they're in a loose association. So they're not a, a direct um, confederation planet, so they have to request permission to uh, uh, to interact on Earth. But I've been doing a little bit of research into uh, various Pleiadian contacts. Uh, um, my friend uh, Chrisana Duran uh, knows. Uh, knows uh, Penny, Penny Harper. And uh, this is an article from the summer uh, 1993.
0: And of, who's uh, that by? Who's it written uh, this by? Is,
1: uh, this is by Jim Brandt from Far Out Magazine.
0: Oh, interesting, Far Out. Okay, cool.
1: And uh, it's in Beverly Hills, and he was interviewing Penny Harper about her contacts with the Palladians. And a lot of interesting information here. She was beamed up directly, her and uh, a 1969 Econoline band. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. And take it to the planet era on the second trip. The first trip she was just beamed up into the Pleiadian ship, into a mother ship. And the second time she went to the planet uh, era and... Uh, Went into great detail about it at her monthly meetings of U Forum, that were held at um, that were held in Los Angeles on a monthly uh, monthly basis at one one zero one two Ventura Boulevard.
0: Uh, oh, oh, okay. Hold on.
1: Um, Do you know her by any chance? Or?
0: Um, no, I'm kind of curious. Uh, um, What's the story? She might there? make
1: a great guest on the program if she's still around.
0: Absolutely. So uh give us a, a brief uh, story. What happened? Her first trip up there, what happened?
1: Uh the first trip she would just beamed up there and um shown some uh, some uh like take it to a holodeck and she was on board the ship for about an hour and, and a half and shown um uh, some kind of holographic projection about uh, about the Palladians and uh, mm-hmm. and life on on Era, and then on the uh, her second that was in August of 1987, and then uh, two years later in December of 1989, uh, she was beamed up again, uh, and uh, but they didn't take her car that time. They they just took her and okay. uh, taken, K- taken K- to the planet uh, era and then she was depo- she spent, uh, she spent uh, a few weeks there and then was deposited back on earth uh, just uh, like about a minute after they, they took her up
0: can you tell me I want to ask real quick um, what was the name of the uh, magazine it was for
1: I was uh, Far Out called Far Out
0: and when was this uh, interview done?
1: Uh, that was September of 1993. So I'm I'm sending you an article uh, about it because I I have um, gotten more information about Penny, additional photographs, and uh, and some uh, testimonies from people who knew uh, who knew her, some more information about the Plaion. So I'll have that. Um, coming your way to post on the the website.
0: Huh, okay, well, that's great. So, um, I'm kind of Google searching it now. I'm trying to, uh, I keep getting all these other interviews. I can't, uh, Penny Harper, Amazon Books. Uh, All right, Uh, so I guess I'm just going to... Okay, so I guess that's uh, about it for this interview. We've what, done the two.
1: What's really interesting about her is that when she was on board the, uh, on board the ship uh, heading to Era and back again, back again, she met David Copperfield. What? Yeah, she said she, she met David Copperfield and that he's a Palladian but she she goes into detail in in her um uh in her interviews and in her talks about uh uh that she didn't come to trust the Pleiadians and and why she didn't so I, I'll, uh that'll be in the that'll be in the article that I send you
0: okay well uh you and I are going to talk a little bit after the show i want to i want to scoop on that i'm not going to uh, our show I'm not going to scoop your article but um, I want to hear that story so folks we're going to uh, take it uh, the end of the show here again remember the orphanage uh, remember to check out my website thepromiserevealed.com and um, I'll be uh, looking forward to releasing uh, some the nuclear receptor the nuclear uh, the andromedan holographic projector and I'm going to be uh, demonstrating and teaching the release of the pyramid systems created by the Pleiadians, Susemyasi. Um I will say Fred said he was frustrated with the Pleiadians that they refused to get involved and take a more active role in the situation on the earth. Uh, back in the early days, they said they didn't want to get involved in our karmic situation. But from what I understand, there may have been some artificial intelligence and some negative programming that actually uh, did kind of affect them in a certain way. And they decided to get very involved here um, and are have a more proactive approach to what's going on. Uh, so lots of things to uncover here in our conversations with Dr. Raymond Andrew keller the second um raymond
1: thank you for coming on again oh you're welcome rob always a always a pleasure
0: and, and, uh, and very
1: happy uh i i guess it they'll see this after me- memorial day but uh, yeah. uh a salute out there to all the veterans as well fellow all veterans.
0: Right. yeah and thank you brave veterans for going out there and hopefully we can uh take control of our political process and, uh, and the, uh, the militaristic thinking can only be used for defense and not to further the means of uh, greedy people who have uh, plots and plans to uh, take over the world. Uh, we'll be talking in the future just for a heads up for you folks. We will be talking about the Venusian lifestyle. We'll be talking about what they wear we'll be talking about what they eat we'll be talking about their life underground uh and we'll be talking about many other interesting things to help demystify the uh nature of our of our we can call them cosmic cousins but our our solar system neighbors so to speak and the importance um uh, that they played in our history and and how we can Look forward to expecting to seeing them and and not worshiping them and not, you know, you know, being in fear when we see a spaceship and to understand that, you know, these are cosmic tourists that are uh, very careful when they interact with us. Uh, They want to get to know you as a friend before they reveal themselves. So Um, keep an eye on the open sky. As Jackson Brown said, you never know what may be coming down. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see Jackson Brown uh, uh, here in Reading, third row seats, coming up on August 8th with my sister. so um, wow. I'll be thinking of you when I hear that song. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. The Victor Light Radio Show. Again, I'm your host, Rob Potter uh, with Raymond Keller. Thank you so much for coming on. Wow, fascinating, Raymond. I'm going to have to stop you right there. Uh, we'll get right into our uh, discussion uh, and follow up with this interview for next week and we'll be talking about Lemuria. Thank you folks for tuning in to the Victor Light radio show on the BBS radio station. I'd like to thank Don and Doug, my sound editor Chris Spell, and all of you for listening and please check out my website The Promise Revealed for my upcoming events. I'll be traveling uh, quite a bit this end of this year and we'll see you um, at Portal to Ascension in Irvine Uh, Coming in October. Thank you folks and victory to the light